Welcome back to Geeks and Grounds, a monthly game club where we play games and brew good conversation together, rain, shine, or heat. Uh, sun, sun, sun time. Sun oh, time. it's too hot. And I don't like it. But what I do like is the game that we're playing this week and the developer that we chatted with. Um, but first, let's introduce ourselves. My name is Jenny. <laughs> and I'm Joel. Welcome to the cast, everyone. Yes. Uh, super, super stoked to get into the interview for this week. Uh, Joel, did you want to talk about who, share who we're talking with? Yeah, so today we talked to Emily from Sondering Studios. We played her game A Taste of the Past, and uh, this is all part of our kind of multi-part series we're doing this month. We're playing a few short games that are all very thematically related. Uh, we had a great conversation. Yeah, she uh, talked with us about just the process of making the game, sort of how she dove into the themes, the origins of uh, where the idea even came from from the first place. And we had just a really good conversation, not just about uh, grief and the way that the game addresses grief, but also how it thematically it ties into a lot of the themes that we see in the main game of the month, which was Venba. Yeah, and you know we say this midway through the podcast, but uh, this is going to be a shorter episode as we uh, go through this interview. Um, to the short enough to the point that this game is only thirty minutes long. So we would actually recommend you just hit pause on the podcast and play the game, and then come back. Uh, yeah. It's that good. It is so powerful. Uh, the thoughtfulness that she puts into this game is incredible, and it was awesome mm-hmm. to hear about it. Yeah, and the game is available on Steam and I believe itch.io, and it's free. So also, not only is it really short, uh, but it's free, so it's very easy to pick up and just hop in, shorter than an episode of a TV show nowadays, I feel like. Most of them are an hour, Mm right-ish. Yeah. But yeah, so also, if you are a brand new member, we are so out of order today, but that's fine. That's totally cool. It's it's (laughs) summertime. It's hot. It's so hot. It's disoriented. Um, But before we hop into the interview, if you are new here, welcome. Uh, You can learn more about the podcast and Geeks and Grounds at geeksandgrounds.com. This podcast is actually supplementary to the newsletter that goes out every week. So be sure to sign up there to get all of the latest and greatest. Uh, the newsletter is weekly. The podcast is m- every other week, pretty much. So that's a bit more frequent of a touch point. Um, and we have a Discord community if you enjoy Discord. Uh, yeah. And if oh, and if you're returning, please consider leaving us a review on Apple or rating us on Spotify. That just is really nice, bolsters our spirits, and it helps you know with algorithm things. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know what else helps with algorithm things is high quality conversations with people who really know what they're doing. So mm-hmm. uh, we're going to hop in and chat a little bit with uh, Emily here, and uh, we really hope you enjoy the time. All right. Well, welcome, Emily. Super excited to have you here today. Uh, how are you doing in this? I, I assume everyone is like under heat advisory at this point because the world is just burning. But are you staying <laughs> cool? Are you staying chill this summer? Oh, yeah. I live in a specific part of LA that is known for the heat. So it's been air conditioning every day. Oh, yes. I'm so envious you have air conditioning. Don't? Nope. Uh, I think Joel does. Um, yeah, I'm rocking am, the AC. For yeah, sure. I'm definitely braving the heat old fashioned style. And it's not 
what I would recommend. We have one air conditioner, but it's in our bedroom and it's not big enough to like get the whole house. Mm. Yeah. But um, yeah, super excited to talk with you today about Taste of the Past. Um, I'm, I don't even know where to begin because this game for me was an emotional journey for sure. Um, I would love for you to describe it in your own words because we've talked about it as a community in the newsletter, but we always love hearing what folks say about their games and sort of how they would explain it to someone. Yeah, so the elevator pitch I usually give for A Taste of the Past, it is a narrative game about a young girl who overcomes the loss of her mother through cooking Chinese food. She finds herself in a train full of her ancestors and she talks to them while cooks Chinese recipes, ultimately ultimately reconnecting with her cultural heritage and learning more about herself and who she is without her mother. So just, you know, light topics. (laughs) 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 No big deal. Um, I was really curious when I played, because I don't think it's explicitly mentioned, at least on your Steam page or, um, or within the game itself, but it feels very at least biographical, if not autobiographical. And I was wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, so this is definitely semi-biographical. I feel like all of my games kind of touch upon my life. So A Taste in the Past, um, a lot of the inspiration that I drew from it is my real-life relationship with my mother, specifically the fact that we've had a more complicated relationship and growing up, appreciating our relationship has been really difficult. Part of it is inspired by my grandmother. My grandmother was the one who cooked for my family growing up. So the way that we bonded over food was very much reminiscent of her. And it's also partly inspired by my grandfather who passed away a few years ago and it tore up my family. And so witnessing that and seeing how you know, it was the first death of someone that was close to me and I'm still a young person. So inspired honestly by almost every person in my family. I made it for this game jam called Ludum Dare and the theme was deeper and deeper. So I thought a train cart that goes deeper and deeper in time. Cause for me, one thing that I noticed is that as the generations go on, like I am much more Americanized than my mother is. My mother's much more Americanized than my grandmother is. And I never met my great, great grandmother, but I would assume that she's even less Americanized than my grandmother who lives in the States. So that dynamic has always been really interesting to me, just how the generations evolved um, as we immigrated to the US. So I also wanted to explore that in A Taste of the Past. Oh man, it was so uh, well done, the way we get to connect and meet the different generations of the family. Mm -hmm. So for those that have not yet played, you start by talking with, is your grandparents, is that the first step? Mm-hmm. Right. And then you start working backwards in time mm-hmm. with different relatives beyond that as you make your way through these train cars. Um, and then also along the way, you're picking up different uh, recipe items, uh, finding different food and cooking utensils so that you can prepare dishes or dish along the right. way. Um, so maybe could you talk a little bit about what the food element specifically and mm-hmm. um, the, the importance of that within the narrative? Yeah, so longevity noodles, it's a type of Chinese dish where the noodles are supposed to be very long and you're supposed to eat it on your birthday to signify a long life. So 
it's May, the main character's first birthday without her mother. And the noodles are kind of ironic because it's supposed to signify a long life. And here she is growing up and the people, she's losing the people around her. But I thought that that would just be a really sentimental dish uh, because of the occasion. And also, I mean, I guess brief spoiler for the game. In the end, she realizes that as a kid, she introduced a new ingredient the wood ear mushroom to the Mm -hmm. recipe so how she evolved her family's recipes over time too oh my gosh that moment in the game and that line I think um the mom said it wrecked me I was I remember by the end of the game because I I recorded it for YouTube and I at the end of every game I'm like yeah I'll do a little summary and I had to like pause the recording so I could just finish crying so that I could like speak because it was so just like it really hit um but there's a line that the mom says um it's like our cultural heritage is made up of small moments and Mm -hmm. you are a part of that and I'm really because that line gave me chills um, and I'm curious where that line came from, whether it's something you were told or like in your process of writing, that is some like a conclusion you came to or yeah, just how did it come about? Yeah. So when I was growing up, I really actually resented being Chinese. I grew up in an area where it wasn't cool. So I ended up resenting a lot of my culture. Mm-hmm. Only now growing up, do I realize the value of things I did and looking back, because I repressed so many of it. Um, I honestly just remember small moments here and there. Things like every Sunday, I would make dumplings with my grandmother. Um, as a kid, I would participate every year in the Chinese New Year dance. I would go to Chinese school. I remember as a kid, every single Saturday, my parents would drive me an hour to the nearest Asian grocery store and all the snacks that I would eat. Mm-hmm. And then as an adult, coming back, going to that same grocery store, and realizing I'm not with my parents now, I'm an adult, I can go here by myself, was just a very strange uh, realization that happened. <laughs> and, you know, now I am definitely trying to embrace my culture more. You know, as a kid, I was honestly, I remember this instance that I'm honestly very ashamed of, where my grandmother was talking to me at my school in Chinese, and I wouldn't want to reply in Chinese, even though that's mm. her native language, and it's the language I'm also comfortable in. I was just embarrassed that people around me knew that I spoke Chinese, which I know sounds absurd, because that's my heritage, but that was really the culture that I grew up in. So for me, when I wrote that line, I realized, you know, even these parts of myself that I hated at once, these moments that I've shared with my family, you know, with my community, with myself growing older, that's what informs me being Chinese American, the good parts mm-hmm. and the bad parts. Mm-hmm. God. And like the way the, the, imp- the, the, imp- implication of all of this like culture is this thing that's so much bigger than you but that you are also an active participant in like the way culture shifts because of your active participation in it it was such a a, like beautiful poignant moment uh, as a part of all this and I mean you described it as kind of this like shameful memory but I feel like in the American experience there's so much flattening like intentional flattening of cultures to try and like force this kind of fake melting pot idea that Mm -hmm. actually prevents you from fully exploring who you are and how Mm -hmm. you fit within culture and community. 
Yeah. I'm curious um, because you, you mentioned the train um, theme came from deeper and deeper, uh, but I, I would love to talk a little bit more because there is this really wonderful symbolism in how the train is connected as it moves. You're building, you know, as you build on the generations, the train gets longer. Um, I'm curious, you know, and it's also really interesting because we've played games recently. I think um, Mr. Saito had a train in it for its like reflective moments. That's Spirited right. Away has a train mm-hmm. in it for reflective moments. I'm curious if there's uh, anything else that drew you to the train in particular to explore this theme. Well, I always feel like with trains or any type of public transportation, whenever I sit in it, I love to look around and I see who's around. And sometimes I'll imagine like, what story do they have? You know, who Mm. are they? What made them come on this train? Where are they headed to? So that was the element that I really wanted for a taste of the past. She's on this train. She looks around. She sees people that seem kind of similar to her, but also not similar. And so exploring each ancestor's story was very, uh, that's why it it was a train to kind of mimic the natural curiosity that I have with people Mm. on public transportation. And one thing that I did try to do is that I tried to make every ancestor distinct, whether good or bad. You might Mm. notice if you play in a taste of the past, there's ancestors that are really friendly and warm and sympathetic to your situation. There's ancestors who are more reflective and somber. And there's also ancestors who don't accept you, (laughs) just like real families. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so true. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm really curious because you mentioned a lot of it was drawn from your family. Um, And you grew up with some of your family. Did you live in in a house where like your extended family members were a part of it really actively or were you in more separated houses? For me, it was I lived with my mom, my stepdad and my grandparents. This Mm -hmm. is very normal in Chinese culture where your grandparents or your great, great grandparents will live with you. So Mm -hmm. for me growing up, honestly, I feel like my grandma in some ways is just as much of my mom as my actual mom. When my parents would go to work, my grandma would stay at home and take care of me, make lunch for me until my parents did go home. So just a lot of my life was very, very influenced by them. I have also been to China, visited my ancestors there, but that was only once in my life. I really do want to go back, although sometimes I think like, okay, brief tangent, but you know, I in America, I'm very Chinese, right? But I understand that if I'm in China, I'll seem very American. It's mm. kind of where I am an outsider in both cultures. So I wonder if I go back, will people just think of me as white, even though I am Chinese? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's, there's, um, I remember like when I was a kid and I, my situation's a little bit different because I'm biracial. So there's like a little bit is different, but I remember my cousins would call us like bananas or pandas. Cause you're like yellow on the outside, mm-hmm. white on the inside. I've been called that too. And yeah, panda. Cause it's the black and white, like there's the mixed sort of element to it. And I, I was like, yeah, I remember my cousins kind of making fun of us. Uh, and they're Korean, like they've grown up in Korea, they've lived in Korea, you know, and so I remember having that experience, even visiting them there. Um, I'm curious if you, like, have you, has your family played the game? Have they experienced it? Do they share their thoughts with you about it? (laughs) My family doesn't care. (laughs) 
They haven't played the game. Oh. They do think that it's cool that I make games. So, you know, my my studio, Soldering Studio, it started as just random college project. And now I'm like at the stage where like me and my team are ready to go full time for our next game. So Mm -hmm. they're actually very excited about that. They think, wow, (laughs) like our daughter's a businesswoman. She's starting all these things. But in terms of the games themselves, like, okay, so a lot of people in my team, when they talk about their formative experiences in gaming, they say, oh, my parents played it and they introduced it to me. My parents are anti-video game. My parents think that Call of Duty is the only game to exist. And growing up, my dad would make jokes being like, pew, pew, you're dead. Yeah, that's all video games. They're not worthwhile at all. So oh. I've been educating them on what video games can be. Uh, well, I think like it the storytelling in this experience is just so powerful. And it's like you tap into something that feels so like personally rooted that it has almost like this universal appeal. Like I was pretty much heartbroken from the opening dialogue as she's like talking about what's going on. And the more I'm digging into it, like, you know, we all have different family baggage. I certainly have quite a bit myself. And I'm just like, oh my God, what am I doing with the relationship with my parents as I'm like playing through this game? It's like, I, I don't mm-hmm. have some of the cultural baggage that you two are talking about or cultural uh, understandings that you two are talking about. But the idea of like your relationship with your parents and how you invest in that relationship mm-hmm. or don't and the reciprocity there, like it's such a universal theme and story that like uh, it built an extreme amount of like vulnerability and empathy as I was playing through it. Yeah, that's something that has been really surprising to me. The fact that people from all different cultures, not just Asian or East Asian, have been playing it and relating to it. That is definitely, to me, validating the power of video games to build empathy with diverse cultures and understanding. With my next game, I've honestly had this thought to myself, is making cultural games too niche? Can it never reach a mainstream audience because of the topics that I'm making games about. And I think the success of A Taste of the Past and games like Bemba have validated to me, no, it doesn't matter what culture you're from. The reason that culture exists is to bring people together and all people can unite under the idea of unity Mm -hmm. and understanding and empathy and love and using food to connect. This is relatable to everyone. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Well, and it's really interesting because we are seeing a lot of really, really specific media come out, like not just ones sort of in this, like, especially the Asian Western diaspora, like the everything everywhere, turn right. red, like your game, Venba. But we also see like super specific niche things come out, like even I don't know, the Barbie movie. And Mm -hmm. people en masse are appreciating it, even though supposedly it was for an audience that like either didn't exist or was too small to like make something for. Um, So it's incredible to see all of that. I guess, uh, what is it like, especially with games like Venba coming out that are culturally specific and sort of doing these things? um, What's that like for you as you move forward and think about what you want to do next and what your team wants to do next? Just in the generic sense. (laughs) I've been so happy to see Venba doing well. I actually have been sharing the stats with my team. I'm like, oh, Venba (laughs) has getting this many plays in such a short period of time. This is great for us. Because, you know, especially, you know, games, they work with publishers. 
investors, audiences. Mm -hmm. We need to prove to them that there is a market for these stories. And so to see Mm -hmm. things like Venba or just movies like Everything Ever All at Once succeed, it's validating to everyone, hey, we want to create more of these. There are a lot of people who are interested in this story. It has been amazing to witness, especially because games 10 years ago were not like how games are. I just... Um, you know, and, and not only in just like an Asian audience, you know, I realized, so I actually asked my audience, I said, like, do you think the fact that we make Asian games is limiting? Do you guys care? And a lot of my audience, they said, well, it doesn't matter to me if we play a game with a Chinese character, or an Indian character, or someone of another ethnicity, if the game is good, the mm-hmm. game is good. Mm-hmm. That really made me happy because my game can be about my Chinese upbringing, but if the game is good, the game is good and all audiences will want to play it. Yeah. Totally. The universality of those themes. <laughs> just like, oh, you just so perfectly nailed it. It was so good. Yeah. I, well, and I, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, yeah. oh, no I, go I was going to just ask about like, one of the things that I think made it particularly powerful is that you rooted the story with like a teenage girl's experience. Mm-hmm. And as a mm-hmm. teenager, those emotions are so much bigger and more urgent. And so, you know, versus playing like a 30 year old character working down the train, et cetera, it's where it's like, you know, even hard things, maybe you have a bit more stability in your life and with your emotional responses. So it's harder to draw out some of those big emotions I was wondering about your selection of uh, a teenage character to to portray this the, the main protagonist of the story and what what motives you might have found in, in doing that. Yeah, I will say actually teenagers are my favorite age group to write about. Number one, I think that teen audiences are the best because they are the most passionate. A 30-year-old is less likely to tell all of their friends, you need to buy this game. I'll buy it for you just so you can play it. Teen audiences will create media and spread the word to their friends. They're not afraid to be passionate about something they love. So already off the bat, I love catering to teens. Um, But also, you know, I feel like my teen years were so formative because I was given that, I I just had a lot of angst and I was given that flexibility of, okay, I'm having more responsibilities now, but I'm going to be an adult and there's so much possibility. So balancing it all is just, just has that amazing conflict and tension that I love to write about. Mm. I just, I, I love a teenage honesty. I think that teens will express themselves whether to their friends on the internet in ways that we as adults may not want to because we think that we're cringe or overbearing. We don't want to bother our friends because they have their busy schedules. Teens just let it all out. And <laughs> I absolutely love that. I I will even say like my next game is about teens. I think I will continually write about teens. I think if you writing a novel, it will be a teenager. It's just my favorite period to write about. That's that's amazing. And I totally agree. I mean, that's why, because Joel and I also come from education backgrounds. We used to be teachers. And that's why. Oh, I didn't know that. Personally, yeah, I love like middle school and like early high school. Mm. Best time because it's when they're in their early teens and it's just like way more fun to teach, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like elementary school, that's great. Preschool, fine. But like once you get to the teenage years, it's a blast. It's so much fun. Yeah. Enjoy the favorite, sticky fingers. Uh, one of my <laughs> yeah. favorite films is called The Half of It. It's also about an Asian 
character and it's written by Alice Wu, I think. Okay, don't count me on that one. But she <laughs> originally wrote it as adults, but then she realized like, okay, all these things that they're dealing with, it just seems kind of strange for adults to be expressing themselves that way. Mm. The moment she said it in a teen setting, she's like, it just immediately clicked. And that's how I kind of feel with my games. The moment I said it in a teen setting, it just clicks. It works. I like it that way. I'm curious because you you have a... You have a game that's really resonant, I think, and speaks with the voice um, and passion of like teenager, younger years, but you're also dealing with really like adult in the sense that they are very mature themes, they're heavier Mm -hmm. themes. Mm -hmm. Um, Coping with grief is huge and, you know, people go through it at, you you could go through it at any age. Um, I'm curious how you crafted this experience to make coping with grief like feel accessible in a game format. Well, I think the first thing, again, the fact that it's teens, I don't dumb the teen down. Mm-hmm. May is learning, but May is learning a very adult lesson. I think just taking her seriously despite her age was a huge thing working in my favor. Mm. But in terms of, you know, making coping with grief accessible, I'm actually giving a talk on this uh, at Game Devs of Color Expo about making games about grief. So I can share a little bit of my go, findings. Yeah. For me, what I think is relatable is writing with uh, describing the emotions with a situation rather than describing the emotions with emotions. So instead of Mm -hmm. saying she feels sad emotion, I feel disappointed emotion, I write about situations that people can relate to. For example, she talks about shopping for her funeral funeral dress and the awkwardness of that. That is a situation that can Mm. relate to a lot of people. There are dressing for an occasion that they don't really want to go to or is that or is an uncomfortable situation that's relatable another situation i described is being in her classmates and her classmates questioning her about her mother's death which is something that she feels really uncomfortable with and sometimes her classmates make ignorant comments like well if my mom died i wouldn't be able to handle it and may goes well it already happened to me i have no choice but to handle it Everyone relates to the situation of being questioned about something that they're, you know, maybe a sensitive subject they're not really ready to face yet. So describing it with situations, I think, makes it much more accessible than just saying, I feel sad, because obviously she feels sad. That's not very insightful versus picking out these very specific situations that might stick with her as she deals with this resonates with audiences a lot more. Oh my gosh, I love that. Like it's it's a video game version almost of the show don't tell, right? Yeah. Because you're putting us in those situations. I will say the very end, um, again, spoilers, but if you're listening to this, you should honestly take like the half hour, play the game and then listen to this. Um, yes, but the c- scenario at the end where she's at I think it was 99 Ranch right? and like getting ready to buy the noodles, but she's like, I don't know what brand and he overhears other people talking like a mother to her daughter. I was like, oh, because I've been in that situation where I've like gone to H Mart is what it's called here mm-hmm. and I'll go to H Mart and oh my gosh. And I'll be like, wait, I don't know what to get. And I mean, I could call my mom, but you know, part of me is also like, but it's kind of weird that I'm calling my mom to go grocery shopping in a store that I probably should know how to make this stuff anyways. And I've definitely done a thing where I'm like, I'll wait until someone picks something up and then maybe I'll pick that one up too. 
Yeah, no, this is, uh, that situation was about going to 99 Ranch as an adult with my roommate. So my roommate's actually from Hong Kong. And so I went and I was like, I don't know what to get, but I just would see what she was picking up and I would just pick up what she was picking up because I think, okay, she knows what she's doing. So yeah, similar to that, like my roommate is the equivalent of the mom, the other mom in A Taste of the Past. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I'm I'm also curious just uh what do you what did you think through when you were deciding uh the cooking mechanic because what I thought was really interesting mechanically uh is that in most games that involve cooking you make a dish, you serve it, you know, is much more based on the motions of cooking. What I loved about your game is that the cooking is interspersed with a lot of reflection periods. And so I found myself like after talking with one of my, you know, May's ancestors, then I have a moment where I'm like chopping green onions and that provides me that space to like, think about what we just went through. Right. I'm curious how you came to this mechanic and like how you decided to do that instead of just making a dish, you know, or making a couple dishes, you know, in specific levels. I think you're completely spot on in your analysis. This is a game that is heavy from the very start. And so <laughs> I I included the cooking little mini games throughout to give a moment of breath to all of the very heavy stuff that you're talking about with the ancestors. And it ended up working really well. I did it till the end and then it built to that very climax where she has that monologue, no cooking whatsoever. You're just completely correct. I have nothing more to add, but then your analysis was was great. <laughs> well, it was really, really well done because I think what's really – games oftentimes don't have the breathing room, I think, to mm. to consider some of the narrative that they lay down, uh, which is really interesting to me because I think games often – kind of like people, you know, we talk to fill space, we talk to fill time. Sometimes I feel like games fill the space to – fill time, but they don't necessarily trust the player to take the time to reflect or take the time to think about what they've just listened to or watched. Uh, so I thought that was really well done on your part. <laughs> well, we are also doing something similar in my next game. Can't talk about it too much because I'm under NDA, but we're also doing a mix of like heavy narrative and then something else to give you time to think about it. That's all I say. <laughs> Let the like, speculation begin. <laughs> you could absolutely do like a master class in writing and pacing. And I, I, I would pay for that. And the way you talk about storytelling is incredible. I just um, what, study stories okay. a lot. Like I read books about how stories are made. I read screenplays, play games. Like I am just a story fiend. I know. See, I see they have so many books behind yes. you. Last year, I read 58 books. I just like to read. Nice. Hell yes. <laughs> uh, but I, I also don't want to forget one of the things that was most striking to me, which was the second I opened the game, I just began taking screenshots of oh the gosh, environment yeah. and the character and the background watercolors. And I wonder if you can talk about the art direction and style of that at all. Is that something that you can speak to? Yeah. So I, okay, I, I did not do the art to clarify, but one thing that I know our team wanted to do is do a limited color palette to give a more striking tone. Um, I will say that the backgrounds of each train car, we also based it on the time. So for example, the grandma, we picked dates that we thought that she would be alive around. And then we based the train car 
off that. So our environmental mm-hmm. artist did some research into like Chinese architecture or just, you know, Ch- Chinese buildings and then took some of those elements and included it in each train car with each generation. Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. That's wild. Yeah, I know. Probably, you probably don't even notice it when you're playing the game, but it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I what mean, you, you definitely do of, notice is. Oh, yeah, right. I was going to. Oh, I was just going to say, you do notice because, like, it's most apparent, I think, in their dress. But as you move through the trains, I, I felt like I could. It did feel like you're transporting mm. into different eras for sure. Yeah. It, like, the, it, the themes of the conversation felt supported by the color palette, felt supported by, like, just the general environment itself. So yeah, I, yeah, you've, mm-hmm. it sound the, the thoughtfulness there really yeah. came through. But I will say if you do like taking screenshots of this game, my next game, I think is also really pretty. I can say that cause I didn't do the art. So I will <laughs> brag about the artists on my team. They're doing a fantastic job every day. I'm amazed by them. Oh, I can't wait. Can't wait to see it. Um, there's one line that got me, um, because I think I, especially recently, I've been thinking a lot about this. And you have a line that grandpa said, um, that said, you'll learn about, I forget it was grandpa, maybe a great grandpa, but you'll learn more about your mom as you grow older. And I thought that was really interesting because like as a kid, you have this image of your parents. And then as you grow up, you kind of like the curtain gets peeled back little Mm -hmm. by little. Um, And I'm curious, just what are some of the things that you've learned as you've gotten older, how that's changed your relationship to like your elders and older generations Mm -hmm. for you? Yeah. So this game, that line and just the whole message is definitely inspired by my realization that my parents are just as human as I am. I am not, they're not a superhero. (laughs) They're not some force that knows everything in the universe. We are just as flawed um, I think I saw this TikTok where this girl goes, you know, like, just like it's my first time being a daughter and a kid, it's my mom's time, first time being a mom. And so, you know, she has to forgive my mistakes, but I'm supposed to give forgive her mistakes too, because it's our first time navigating these really difficult things together. And another thing I, I want to talk about is how your relationship with someone changes even when they're completely gone in your life. Mm-hmm. So let's think about like a difficult breakup, right? You love that person so much and then you, you break up with them. Maybe at first you hate them, even though they're not even in your life. You hate them, you resent them, then maybe you're really sad about them and you miss them. And then maybe a few years later after that breakup, you look at that relationship with appreciation, with reflection, with gratitude, even though from the moment you broke up to years later, you haven't talked to them a single time. Mm. Kind of also like, you know, losing a parent too. May is just a kid. Her relationship with her mother is not going to stay the same at 17, even though her relationship with her mother ends at 17. That growth is going to continue over time. You know, maybe Mm. a few years later, May will come across her mother's all of her mother's diary and it will change through then maybe just uh going through your mother's belongings and seeing your jewelry her jewelry or her clothes or old pictures of her your relationship will change even though she's not no longer directly interacting with her mother mm-hmm. that is so insightful cool. you're so <laughs> yeah i'm like you are so just 
Yeah, insightful is the perfect word for it. Um, really? I don't know yeah. if I'm insightful because I don't know. So I'm just writing a lot to myself and I'm saying like, is this even good? That's a big thing. I think when I make games and you're deep in the process, you don't even know if it's good. When I released Taste of the Past, I didn't know if it was good. I remember asking my team, do you think this is a good game? And we all said, I don't know. And then we just put it on screen. <laughs> Well, I can tell you, and obviously the Steam reviews, you know, they can tell you overwhelmingly positive. Like, it is a very, very good game. I think the way it just resonates, um, again, it's kind of like Venba, where it's so specific, but so universal. And I Mm -hmm. think um, that's kind of a nice little segue uh, to, we've talked a little bit around and about Venba already, but I would love to, uh, as we're playing that game as well this month, love to just hear some of your thoughts uh, and takes on playing the game, what you thought after you finished. Yeah, so to give a brief introduction, Venba was making their game at the same time I was making my game. And so we followed (laughs) each other on Twitter really on in the process. I was like, whoa, this is another Asian cooking game? Crazy! Something's in the water, like what? I know, right? Uh, Like we didn't, weren't inspired by each other. We just did it independently. And then I actually met the team at GDC. They were so nice. And then I played the game. I played it the day it came out and I played it on my stream, which I don't stream very often. I stream once in a blue moon. But I literally sobbed during the entire thing. Uh, just the the story is so simple. It's so effective. The writing doesn't is is not uh like the writing uses very simple language, right? It doesn't sound super pedantic, but it just hits mm-hmm. you in the gut. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And another thing, like it kind of also has like a limited color palette, which is more striking kind of similar to a taste of the past in that way and also also kind of similar because it's about generations even though it's about the guy and his parents just as they get older like as Mm. you know they go further and further in time oh it's just so good everyone should play it i've been recommending (laughs) it to my team i'm like we made a taste of the past like you have to play this game if you like vemba i think you will like a taste of the past and vice versa like they are games and just go really really hand in hand with each other and i'm so happy to see their success it's just it's just so good <laughs> yeah yeah i love i love hearing just how how it resonated with you i felt the same way um i think it was it's been so cool cuz um we're doing sort of a, a set of three titles that i think all like fit really well together this month um the first one was venba we're playing your game uh, this week, and then we're playing Half, which is by Emma Kidwell, um, that I'm so excited for everyone to play. But what's really lovely is seeing how, um, I think it's because also these games, like it seems like, oh, everyone's making a cooking diaspora game, but it's really not. And so being able to play these games in succession has been like really fulfilling in a lot of ways. So it has been just an exciting time just as a player to be able mm-hmm. to say like, hey, I went from not being able to really recommend any of ga- any game to like that that resonated in this way to people when they asked to like I have so many options now to tell you about and it's like really exciting because they're all also very widely accessible so it's like yeah very cool. yeah I feel like the game kind of before our little wave was Cooking Mama <laughs> but Cooking yep. Mama had people make jokes people are like your game is Cooking Dead Mama oh, <laughs> oh no. no. <laughs> <laughs> people oh are like 
you gosh. should sell merch cooking dead mom i was like i don't want to get into the copyright of that. <laughs> Oh, but I no, I love that you bring it up because it is like, um, as I was saying earlier, Cooking Mama and like, I think Eat Serve Delicious, people think of cooking games and they think about like the rote mechanics of cooking. But I'm like, cooking, when I cook, I'm not like speeding through dishes, right. making them as fast as I can. Like oftentimes when I cook, there are really specific memories and really specific things that come up. Like, Yeah. So yeah, I think it's really interesting, yeah, that yeah, you, cooking mama, you took that. Cooking Mama is more about, like, the mechanical side, like, doing things with precision and, uh, like, in a timely fashion, which is kind of funny because in Asian cooking, precision, like, no one cares about precision. Like, that <laughs> notion of your mom is just like, oh, add enough salt until it tastes right. There's no measurement. I think it's kind of funny how, like, that game is very precise when – actual Asian cooking is not precise at all. <laughs> There's like a great TikTok meme about this. And it's like, you add seasoning until you feel the ancestors tell you to stop. And it's like all these yep. different people. Are and so I was playing taste of the past. I was like, Oh, this is very literally that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, did you, I, as you were playing through it, I, I want to come back maybe to the age question again, because in Venba you're playing characters like the, the main character that you're working through is usually in their 20s to 30s, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. Maybe like yeah. as the mother gets older, you see that age change a little bit. Um, do you see any difference in storytelling? Because uh, we talked about this uh, earlier, but do you see any difference in storytelling between protagonists that are in that age, age range versus the teen experience? Well, one thing that I thought was really well done about Venba is the progression over the years. Because uh, I don't remember the main character's name, but he starts as a child and then it goes until he's a full adult versus May in my game just stays a teen forever. Um, I think that with Venba, because of that difference in age, it can show a bit more depth with the story because hmm. May in A Taste of the Past is just realizing this thing about her mother and her family and how they can come together versus in um venba it kind of shows the payoff like he realizes mm -hmm. it and then you get to actually experience him fully realizing and mending his relationship with his mother which is oh <laughs> again chef's kiss so good yeah yes <laughs> oh i mean i and i think you know sh huge shout out to you and your team for kind of addressing the social uh, societal issues surrounding uh, surrounding the diaspora um, in such a short game. Like you, when you reference how like the other kids at school are interacting and like some of the discomfort there, um, Venba ha is long enough that there's a little bit more time for them to mm -hmm. be like you. The mom is trying over and over to get a job, and it's just not oh, happening. And the dad trying broke to get my heart. Money, it's just not happening. Um, but it, it was one of the things that was so incredible to me getting to play both games so quickly in succession was seeing how you were also able to hit on some of those kind of societal constructs um, in such a short game, but it still felt like you're seeing it through this teenage girl's eyes. Like, in it, I don't know, a huge shout out to you for that. Yeah, was, like, I mean, thank you so much. It's crazy to me when people talk positively about my game because Okay, before, I've loved making games. Since the day I started, I knew that this was what I wanted to do. But for a long time, I didn't think that I was very good. I was making a lot of games that were okay, I think. A Taste Fast was the first game that I felt like, oh, like when I made that, I thought like, this is different from the other games I've made. This one's mm. kind of better, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, okay, so 
Yeah, like I, I started making games in college. And to be honest, I don't, I think a lot of the members looked at me and kind of laughed at me because I was making more narrative games versus the the club is more for computer science people. So they're making mm. really different games than me at the time. And so because of that, like kind of negative reaction I faced from my peers, I really doubted the games that I made. I thought like, oh, is it just like cool to me and a, a few other people? So again, when people played A Taste of the Past, it just shocked me to my core because that was not the feedback that I was receiving from the people near me. It validated it to me that I do deserve to be in this industry and I do actually, I'm not as bad of a writer as I thought I was. And yet like for me, like that momentum was so impactful for me. I was making games. I was feeling honestly really deflated for a really long time. A Taste in the Past came out and I read people's comments and it, it, it just, it gave me the momentum again to continue with my next game. You know, the opportunities that I have with my next game are because of A Taste of the Past, because my team is able to say, hey, we made this game a bunch of people like, you know, I am getting, you know, the, the money and, and the resources to make my next game. Um, you know, I, I have an Instagram where I talk about game dev and gaming, and it's so validating to me when people comment, they said, you're the one who made a taste of the past versus like, oh, you're a girl who made a taste of the past. They played a taste mm -hmm. of the past first and then found me. That has just been crazy. I've been so thankful for all the people <laughs> coming up to me. At GDC last year, I was recognized multiple times and people were like, I love a taste of the past. I was like, what? <laughs> like, you're a real person and you played this thing I made and you liked it. Maybe we should have like the Geeks and Grounds community write a letter that you can like photocopy and send to all the people in, the old, in your video game club from college and just be like, shut the fuck up. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> Now they take me much more seriously because I low-key two of the people from that club are now interns at my studio. So I think, and, you know, we're paying, I think now oh, yeah. a little more serious. Uh, but, you know, like I'm so excited also next year for a GDC. But this is a random tangent, but I was thinking of making bracelets or some sort of handmade gift for the people who come up to me. Because last year, I didn't think anyone would come up, up to me. I thought maybe two people would. Last year, like 20 people came up to me. And now that I've grown my presence, I think more might. So I don't know. Like, for thank you for playing A Taste of the Past, I'll like give a token of appreciation back. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, and you can correct me, Joel, because I am so not in this, but I feel like because everyone's wearing those Taylor Swift like yes! bracelets. Those I'm like, you should just make those. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, Joel's got yes. it. <laughs> I was thinking of bracelets just like that. You should absolutely do this. Yeah. <laughs> I will next GDC. I will come and try and find you, so I can also get the bracelet. No, like I've already been looking up the materials to buy it. I told my team, I was like, "Can we put it on the business card?" Like <laughs> the materials to make these bracelets. My gosh, that's so cute! I love it. I would this love is to the see moment. that. A quick pause from editing Jenny. Our recording had an error here, so we missed out on the very last section of our conversation. It was like a minute, but uh, it was the most important part where you can find Emily so you can keep track of her work and the work for team at Sondering Studio. So I will say it for Emily and hopefully do do her justice. Um, you can find Emily on Instagram and TikTok at Sondering Emily and Twitter. They have a studio Twitter at Sondering Studio 
for however long Twitter lasts. All right, back to the regular recording. Thank you so much for joining us today as we had our conversation with Emily. Uh, really a pleasure to get to chat with her and hear about the game. Yeah, uh, I hope you all enjoyed the conversation as well. Again, uh, be sure to follow Emily on Instagram, on TikTok at Sondering Emily, and be sure to keep up with what her and her she and her team are working on because uh, it looks like and sounds like it's going to be pretty incredible if it mirrors. And uh, I think, as as Emily said, uh, taste of the past. But if she had the budget she wanted from the start. So that's that sounds incredible to me. Oh, um, one thing that we learned in conversation with her after the fact was that this entire game was like essentially made as a part of her college project. And we didn't get to dig yeah. into that in the conversation. But like, can you imagine being that talented to be able to do something like this when you were in college? I, I mean, I, I yeah. cannot for myself. But. <laughs> Nope, I was not doing that in college at all. So super, yeah, super impressed. Emily is absolutely wonderful. So I can't wait to see what she does, what the team does. Uh, and yeah, super exciting. Um, we can say we we knew her when back in the That's day. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, again, if y'all haven't had the chance to follow us on different social channels like Twitter, <laughs> I honestly will probably make us a blue sky because I have a finally I've I've been giving away codes to people who need them um, more than ice but at this point I probably should make us a blue sky and find us you can find us on Instagram though we're on Instagram Mm -hmm. Uh, but really geeksandgrounds.com is the best place to go so be sure to find us there Um, and Joel where can folks find you if they'd like to follow you outside of the program y'all can find me at my grand faloon for the hottest of takes I don't <laughs> Jenny, where can people find you? Uh, and folks can find me on Twitch, TikTok, uh, YouTube, and Blue Sky at Kim Chica. And um, yeah, I'm not even going to share Twitter anymore because I don't really go there except for work. So it's kind of That's a right. useless platform for me <laughs> at this point. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us uh, here at Geeks and Grounds. Again, geeksandgrounds.com is where you can find everything the easiest place. Uh, our, our end of end of session benediction um thank you for coming to geeks and grounds uh if your coffee is too hot get it iced baby nice <laughs> thanks everyone <laughs> see ya <laughs>